Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture. A better way, where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. The California agriculture industry is questioning its political future. First came the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein, a Democrat who was unafraid of prioritizing farms over endangered fish in the state's long-running water wars. Then House Republicans kicked Representative Kevin McCarthy, a native of the Central Valley, out of speakership. The loss of two of California's most effective champions for agriculture has left a political void that the industry is unsure how to fill. Without another Feinstein-like figure emerging from the bench, farmers and lobbyists describe a growing recognition of California's agriculture political future depends on casting a wider net, especially as climate change promises to shrink water supplies future. It's clearly going to be a vacuum for a while, according to Canon Michael, a melon and tomato farmer. He also chairs the San Luis and Delta Mendota Water Authority, which supplies water to 1.2 million acres of irrigated farmland in the valley. It's also a harbinger of California's wanting influence in Congress and an early warning to other California industries that benefited from Feinstein's and McCarthy's seniority and perhaps took for granted the state's ability to score federal dollars. The state's massive agricultural industry is feeling the pinch first. The loss of congressional leadership is putting the industry at risk of losing funding and access to water. The risk is amplified as negotiations over access to the Colorado River heat up and intensifying drought and wet years test the state's aging over subscribed water delivery system. The California Farm Bureau points out that the $55 billion agriculture industry drives the economy in the Central Valley and stocks grocery aisles across the country from almonds to avocados. For decades, farmers relied on Feinstein to help secure water supplies. They all had a well-worn path to Senator Feinstein's office, according to former Representative Dennis Cardoza, a Central Valley Democrat who now represents agricultural lobbying clients. Her staff were taking meetings with farmers up until the night before her death in September. Despite hailing from opposing parties, Feinstein and McCarthy worked together closely to pass the WIN Act of 2016, which encouraged increases in water exports to farmers from the state's main water delivery hub in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. Their joint efforts required a filibuster override. The bill was Feinstein's last big victory on water. Her absence was long anticipated as her declining health led to increasing absences from Capitol Hill. But McCarthy's toppling leaves California's agricultural interests with no obvious fallback. The two things coupled together is a massive erosion, according to Michael. No serious candidate vying to replace Feinstein has made a bid to represent agriculture in the same way she did. The three Democrat frontrunners, Representatives Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, and Barbara Lee are all from urban areas and lack strong ties to either agriculture or the Central Valley, he says. And industry leaders say they've seen Senator Alex Padilla, now the state's senior senator, taking on a more active role on water, including as a recent appointee to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. But they're still waiting to see what he might deliver, according to said industry insiders. 
The U.S. pistachio crop for the current year has surpassed expectations with a 15% increase from the original estimate of 1.3 billion pounds. By early November, receipts had totaled more than 1.48 billion pounds and the final crop could exceed 1.5 billion pounds. California, responsible for about 99% of the U.S. pistachio crop, has benefited from favorable conditions, including ample winter chill hours, favorable spring weather, and an on-year for the alternate bearing crop. The promising conditions have allowed U.S. pistachio farmers to enjoy a successful harvest and the nut size from the large crop has defied expectations with no significant reduction in size despite the abundance. Richard Metonian, president of the American Pistachio Growers Association, expressed confidence in the industry's ability to sell the record-sized crop even in the face of a larger crop from Iran, a key competitor. One surprising aspect of this year's pistachio season in California was the minimal insect damage from navel orange worms, despite this being considered an epic year for the pests in central California. Unlike almond farmers who are grappling with significant losses from insect damage, pistachio farmers have experienced low levels of navel orange worm damage. The success in minimizing pest damage has been attributed to a cooperative effort between pistachio processors and growers to protect the crop from pests and diseases. The American pistachio industry faces competition from global players such as Iran and Turkey. While the U.S. produces about half of the world's pistachio crop, Iran and Turkey are significant contributors to global production. To enhance marketing efforts, the American Pistachio Growers Association has appointed Scott Fryer as the new vice president of global marketing. Fryer, who previously served as the Marketing Innovation Director at SunMade Growers in Fresno, brings his expertise to the pistachio industry during a period when the available supply is expected to exceed 1.6 billion pounds, considering the carry-in from the previous season, according to the organization. Strawberry supply is tight right now in North America. They've been picking out of the northern regions, such as Salinas, Watsonville, and Santa Maria, but that's coming to an end, and they're planting for next spring, according to Trent Etchandy with Jim Pack Berries. At the same time, strawberry production is ramping up in the southern growing region, specifically Oxnard, with Irvine starting up in the next month or so. Central Mexico is also trending upwards, though it isn't fully underway. They're in this transition between the north and the south, so that's why the supply is very limited, he says. Volume in the south is anticipated to pick up mid to end December. Notably, strawberry quality is being closely monitored due to the windy conditions and potential rain of November in Oxnard. The winds don't particularly slow down production, but it does cause bruising and damage to fruit. So then they have to be more cautious while picking, and there's less going into the packs, according to Edge Handy. On-demand strawberries is strong, which is typical for this time of the year, and exceeding supply as berries have become a year-round staple in a produce department. Jim Pack's purchase of well-picked berries this past summer will boost their supply once seasonal transitions smooth out. They're also excited to offer the well-established, well-picked brand beside Jim Pack's own label according to Ed Chandy. Naval production is up and running in California with the fruit having great color, according to Chris Diaz of Fillmore Peru Citrus. The company has began its season earlier than normal, and it picked up acreage on an earlier variety. Harvesting is coming from Kern and Tulare counties, and while growing conditions are better than expected, there is thrip in both counties. 
In the meantime, all eyes are on the weather. He says it is the biggest unknown. It is critical they have oranges moving forward to help sell their desert lemons. As for demand meeting this new crop, it's very good. He says many customers are looking for a larger size fancy fruit. However, FPCA is getting results for load volume all the way down to size 138 choice, a trend it doesn't see changing in the next couple of weeks. Interney says pricing is elevated over the last season. Pricing is up 15 to 20% over last season with even more of a difference on fancy due to the lack of it. Their expectations are for pricing to remain level over the next couple of weeks, but it will end up dropping after Thanksgiving due to more suppliers being in the market. Meanwhile, at FPCA, its board of directors has named Diaz as the company's president and general manager, a position it took effect on November 1st. Diaz has been serving as the director of sales and business development, and the board notes has more than 16 years of experience in domestic sales, export sales, marketing operations, packaging, shipping, and quality assurance. The simple one is using plastic covers to help prevent rain from getting onto the fruit. It does have a cost, of course, but it's, it's something that can be done on relatively short notice if necessary. I mean, it, it, you could also have some more elaborate structures that are more permanent, but it's also, there are, are also options for putting like rain covers or different nets um, more on a more temporary uh, Chris Owens, lead plant breeder with Bloom Fresh, talking about ways table grape growers can protect their crop during a potential El Nino weather event. El Nino poses a threat to table grape growers and the ag industry as a whole by bringing extreme heat to some areas and heavy rainfall to others, making it essential to adapt growing tactics accordingly. The weather patterns are a bit different than a typical season. And so that leads to new challenges that, you know, a grower might not face in most other years. And then suddenly they get some obstacles thrown their way that they're not typically used to. I mean, maybe, maybe it's not completely unheard of, but it's generally having to deal with things that you normally are not dealing with. And that can vary quite a bit depending on where you are. So here in California, usually it means um, a wetter winter, which is not as, this is actually a good thing in most cases. Um, but it can lead to a higher temperatures in some growing regions and rainfall in the season when you're not really expecting it. Um, you know, table grapes are generally grown places where they have dry growing seasons. And that's because they're very susceptible to cracking if they receive too much rainfall. And so that's probably one big one that growers might have to deal with. Like, okay, we're getting unexpected rainfall in the middle of the season. So um, it's going to lead, you know, the possibility for, for you know, much greater uh, damage to the fruit. And so they need some strategies to kind of Try to try to deal with that if they can. On the topic of strategies, companies like Bloom Fresh are helping growers address the different conditions El Nino can bring through various approaches. Owens said for some growers, protection from extreme unexpected weather events actually starts at planting. I'm a plant breeder, so it actually starts with the varieties. So we are working pretty hard on developing new varieties that are more resilient to different environmental challenges. And so that could be improved rain tolerance, it could be improved disease resistance, heat tolerance in some cases. So, you know, that's a decision that's made at planting and something a grower might not be able to change all the time, but it is a starting point to develop new varieties that that are, are more resilient and they can handle some of the different environmental challenges in case you do get some unexpected uh, weather events. Um, but for our company, we also have a very strong and deep uh, technical team uh, that works out in the field with our growers. 
And um, they do what they can to try to mitigate, you know, some of these unforeseen challenges. Some things, you know, might be better addressed, you know, when you're putting a planting in, if like, say, like there's like a more permanent structure that might be needed in addition to like, say, a trellis. Um, but there are other things that they can do um, that they've learned from experience um, that they can do in season. So like a simple one is using plastic covers to help prevent rain from getting onto the fruit. And that's something simple and it can be done. It's not, it does have a cost, of course, but it's it's something that can be done on relatively short notice if necessary. I mean, it, and you could also have some more elaborate structures that are more permanent, but it's also there are, are also options for putting like rain covers or different nets um, more on a more temporary uh, basis. So that's kind of an obvious one. Um, and then, you know, the, you know, our, our technical team, you know, they know a lot about plant physiology as well. And kind of that merger between plant physiology and actual vineyard management. So, you know, there's things they can do in terms of scheduling of, of irrigation to help, you know, say there's an extreme heat events, you know, forecasted, they can manipulate their irrigation timing, you know, there's different nutritional things that they can do to help um, some challenges that are coming up it's not perfect. You know, sometimes there's surprises, but you know, there's enough, uh, there's enough knowledge out there that they can, they can certainly help. And, um, and so what we have is our technical team, we have people, they're pretty much around the world in all major producing areas. And so they know their local growers, they know the local conditions really, really well. And so that's what the kind of the team we try to put in place to help help our grower community get get through some of the challenging times. Going back to the plant breeding aspect of weather mitigation, Owens said there is potential for varieties to be developed and improve to the point where resistance qualities are fully self-sustainable, further reducing other inputs. It's sort of just one of our overarching objectives is to try to reduce inputs uh, from the grower. Um, just it, it reduces costs, but it's also not just cost. You know, say, say in the case of pesticides, you're know, trying to reduce pesticide inputs. Um, so at this point, you know, could we get to the, like some dream scenario where no, you don't never, never need anything. Maybe, maybe not, but I think we can definitely develop varieties that, um, don't need as much, as much, um, as much interventions. Um, you know, we also read cherries and I just got back from a trip from Chile where we, you could definitely see the success we were having with some of our varieties. But in that case, uh, one of the challenges is too much heat in the winter time. So we're busy trying to develop cherries that don't, don't mind if the winter is hot. Um, and so we're definitely having some success there. You're listening to my Ag Life. I'm Taylor Schallstrom. Agroplante is the leading manufacturer in specialty products. Agroplante formulates products that rise to the challenge of today's growing conditions. Saline and sodic soils reduce crop yield and cause significant crop losses. Agroplante developed Cation EX5 Plus with growers in mind to manage soil salinity. With multiple years of research, Cation EX5 Plus has proven to be an excellent source of calcium and an effective soil salinity manager. Run it through drip irrigation without any issues. Simplify your application method with innovative and efficient formulations. Alleviate salinity stress with Cat Ion EX5 Plus. Agroplante. Imagination. Innovation. Science in action. A decision on Dicamba's fate could be imminent as a federal court in Arizona continues to consider several motions filed during the past year on the lawsuit aimed at taking several Dicamba-based herbicides off the shelves. 
cross motions for summary judgment, and all supporting documents were finished by the parties in July. George Kembrell, legal director for the Center for Food Safety, says while there is technically no deadline for the court to rule, the parties' papers and past history of the case ensure that the court is aware of the farming and spraying season ahead in 2024. The district court in Arizona now has several motions for summary judgment it is considering, including a sealed motion filed by Bayer, BASF, and Syngenta. Such a motion asks the court to decide on the case's merits without a trial. A decision in the Arizona case could determine whether dicamba products will be available for the next growing season after continued reports of crop damage caused by dicamba drift. The case was filed in December of 2020 by the Center for Biological Diversity, National Family Farm Coalition, Pesticide Action Network, and the Center for Food Safety. On the markets back from the weekend, traders will continue to keep watch over South American weather forecasts. The U.S. Treasury will release the federal budget for October at 1 p.m. Central Time, and the USDA will release the crop progress report at 3 p.m. Central Time. National Milk Producers Federation Senior Vice President of Member Services and Governance Chris Galen provides an update on the federal milk marketing order hearing that is currently being discussed but is on a break. This is a hearing that USDA convened to look at various proposals, including those coming from National Milk, to improve the milk marketing system that we have from coast to coast. And they've taken uh, testimony from dozens, probably over 100 witnesses now, 10,000 pages of witness testimony, and they're not done yet. So they took a break here basically for most of November. They'll reconvene here in the last week of November and then go for maybe two weeks and hopefully not longer than that because if, if they still need to hear more, then we're talking about something that'll probably get pushed into 2024. While there's no definite deadline, the USA has already taken action on the initial request, allowing sufficient time to hear proposals. It ultimately gets down to you know what what's going to be the price of classified price for milk in classes one, two, three, and four, uh, some other things that affect farmers' prices. USDA is then, after all the testimony is given, then going to have to digest all this and come up with a recommended decision, which is basically just a recommended, here's the next steps and how we want things to change. The industry can comment on that, and then they'll come out with a final version. That probably won't happen until at least the end of next summer. A revised system will be presented for vote by farmers and their co-ops with the expectation of implementing changes approximately 12 months from now. The latest round of USDA grants focused on local and regional food systems and includes funding for projects covering marketing and fostering stronger business relationships. USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. Grants supporting local and regional food system expansion. The Local Agriculture Market Program, LAMP, is a bundle of different programs that was established in the 2018 Farm Bill. And Agriculture Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Jenny Moffitt, says more than $32 million in grants are going to 98 projects covered by LAMP through its subprograms. Farmers Market Promotion Program, Local Food Promotion Program, and regional food systems partnerships. And each of these programs has a specific focus and all of them are supporting local and regional food systems. Farmer market and local food promotion program grants focus on projects with specific marketing and trading opportunities, while regional food system partnerships create relationships between producers and institutions such as schools and hospitals. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
The Panama Canal is facing a surge in the number of ships waiting to transit, up by 13% as the waterway grapples with drastic transit cuts due to drought conditions. The Panama Canal Authority has implemented daily transit volume reductions and draft restrictions due to the driest year on record. The canal, which requires significant freshwater for each vessel transit, has seen its daily transit numbers decrease with further cuts planned. As of the latest data, 112 ships are waiting to transit, highlighting the impact of the drought on global maritime trade. Shippers are considering alternative routes and concerns have been raised about the impact on smaller vessels and inflationary pressures on consumer goods in the Americas. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast not magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 